We meet up with uh, the Torah. The Torah wants to introduce us to Moshe Rabbeinu. And, and uh, really the story of Moshe Rabbeinu, I guess you could say, starts in Perikimov. It starts with the story of the, the Sneh Bo'er Ba'esh. Right? The burning bush. The burning bush. Which, uh, which is really the beginning. Because uh, Moshe Rabbeinu approaches the, bo- the burning bush. Uh, this is in the parish of Shemot, right? The Moshe Rabbeinu approaches the bur- burning bush. He doesn't seem to know what's going to happen. He doesn't seem to know who he is and who the bush is and what might be what he might be called upon to do. And so it would be reasonable it would be reasonable to start the story of Moshe Rabbeinu to start the story of Moshe Rabbeinu with the story of the burning bush. That's when he became Moshe Rabbeinu. Yet the Torah felt that it was imperative to tell us more about his childhood, about who was the person who was, who was chosen. And we know that there was something miraculous about the birth of Moshe Rabbeinu and how he managed to, uh, to escape the wrath of the new king, the new pharaoh in uh, in Mitzrayim. But then the Torah also tells us an interesting story of that happened to Moshe Rabbeinu when he grew up, when he was older, and he went out of the palace and kind of interacted with his people, with his people, with the, with the Jewish people, and reacted to this interaction in a particular way. We would say that that Moshe Rabbeinu had a very well-developed moral sense. Like he saw something terrible happening and he felt he had to do something about it, he had to act about on it. And you could say that, that this is why he was ultimately chosen. I mean, that's what the Torah is saying, that Moshe Rabbeinu is not just a person who became Moshe Rabbeinu overnight, but he was worthy of being Moshe Rabbeinu somehow, of assuming leadership of the Nei Yisrael, of bringing them out of Mitzrayim into the, into the real world. And this idea is encapsulated in these four psukim, four psukim, five psukim, that, that we're going to uh, uh, learn together. So the Pasuk says, the first Pasuk, Vayibayamim is an introduction to a story. We know which Yamim we're talking about. We're talking about the new Pharaoh, the, the, the edicts uh, that the firstborn children should be killed. It was not successful. It was successful. There's a kind of story there that we don't know so clearly. But then it says, Vayigdal Moshe. Vayigdal Moshe. And Rashi, if you look at the Rashi, Rashi says, The previous pasuk, it's not printed on the sheet, but the previous pasuk says, The child grew up. And then the next pasuk says, Well, these quotes are mostly from the Shmot Rabbah, from the Medrash called Shmot Rabbah. Also, it appears, uh, uh, most of the Rashi appears in the Tanchuma as well. Um, so the Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Lai, Harishon Mekoma, Vashaini Ligdula. 
that the first one was about his height, like he got, he was tall, and the second one is that he was a great, he became a great uh, person. What, is, what do you mean that he was a great person? Sheminahu paro albeto, that paro, paro uh, uh, appointed him the master over his ha- household. It's hard not to kind of click into Yosef, who also was a man of two cultures. Right? Yosef was a Jew, uh, Ivri. He was the son of his father and the brother to his brothers. And uh, uh, he spoke to them in Hebrew. He spoke to his brothers in Hebrew. And he, he nevertheless was able, he, Yosef, was able to live in two worlds. And, and the brothers, when the brothers came and confronted him, they didn't know it was Yosef, right? They, they talked to him, but they didn't realize at all that he might not be Egyptian. Like, they didn't say to Yosef, you know, you're really fu- talking Egyptian with that funny Canaanite accent or something. It was Yosef was completely uh, an Egyptian with the Egyptians. And he was completely a son of Yaakov with his brothers after he became identified. And here you have Moshe Rabbeinu has the same quality, right? He was taught by Miriam, his tradition, and who he really was. And uh, he became, he became, according to Rashi, Sheminahu Paro Albeito. He became, he was put in charge of the household of Paro, just as Yosef was put in charge of first the household of Potiphar and then the of all of Egypt. Right? He was so he lived in two worlds. He Yosef. I wouldn't say that that makes him modern orthodox, but uh, uh, but he did live. He did live successfully in two worlds. There are not many people who are able to do that. Uh, it, it was the Egyptians saw him, saw Yosef as an Egyptian, and clearly the Egyptians in the palace saw Moshe as an Egyptian. And nevertheless, Moshe, Moshe was, you know, also very much an Ivri, right? Both, they're both pulled from death. He what? They're both pulled out of almost death. All right, we could continue the yeah. comparison. You mean, no, no, yeah, yeah, may I Because it's miraculous. But, but they wouldn't let um, Yosef eat at their table. They wouldn't let Yosef? No, because he ate kosher food, he ate chicken. He ate steaks. And the, the Egyptians thought that that was like eating their god. So ordinarily they would have killed Yosef, but since he was the boss, they, they sat at his different table. Well, it's like being a, um, uh, what do you call it, organic food eater. Like if you're religious, you also can't stand other people eating real food. You know, it's like... <laughs> so, it, I did that for a year. What? Okay, so then the next words in the Pasuk of Vayar Basivlotam. Vayar Basivlotam, he saw... He saw the 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 terrible trials. Rashi, vayabesiv lotam, natan einavli bo liyot meitzer alehem, vayabesiv lotam. So Rashi says something. Natan einavli bo, einavli bo. That was usually vayar. Usually vayar means he saw something. But in this case, Rashi says 
Vayar means he felt something. Right? Vayar, Natan Einav, Einav, his eyes, you see, Vilibo, his heart, is how he felt it. What does that mean? What is Rashi? What is, why does Rashi say that? Why does Rashi take a simple word and complicate it? It was the Pusuk says, Vayar, Basivlotav. Translation, he saw their terrible state. He saw. Why does Rashi say, Einavilibo? What is Rashi trying to tell us? Well, it's like a, it's like a word. We use that word, empathize. You know, who empathizes? If you're in it, if, if it's, it affects you, you empathize. That's what Rashi wants to say, that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't just see something happening, but he felt it because it was happening to him. It was happening to him. Of course, physically, he escaped the wrath of the Egyptians, but since he identified himself as a member of the family, so he felt it. He felt that they saved them. The next clause in the Pasuk is Vayar again. Ish Mitzrimaka Ish Ivri Me'echav. Ah, Me'echav. You see that? Me'echav, his brethren. Ish Mitzri, Rashi. Rashi says, Nogesaya. Nogesaya. He was like a sergeant, he was in charge. Memune al Shotre Israel. Memune al Shotre Israel. So, you know, it's like that system that uh, we know or we know about from the day, days of the Holocaust. You appoint natives to be in charge of natives, and then you appoint an Egyptian to be in charge of a group of the people who are in charge. Right? So that. Uh, Rashi says, I mean, he's quoting the Medrash, Mikorotagever is when the, uh, the roosters start crowing. That's the sign that the morning has come. Why, why it says that? It says it in the Medrash also, is, it was a mystery to me. Hayama Amidam. Maybe, maybe uh, uh, Rashi is trying to say that this was not an isolated event. It wasn't a, an Egyptian that was beating up or beating an uh, Hebrew. It wasn't like that. This was the, the way it was. This was the way it was, that they had to get up early in the morning and there was a certain issue, like they were tired, they were working hard, not everybody was able to, so it became a regular practice, Rashi says. That's what, it wasn't an, 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 uh, uh, an incident. It wasn't an Egyptian beating a, uh, a, a Jew. It was the uh, system beating the Jews as a community, all of the Jews together, and that's why maybe why Rashi says right? You, you, you understand what I mean? Right? It wasn't, it wasn't uh, according to Rashi, it wasn't a person who did something extraordinary, he beat up on a Jew. It was 
That was what happened every morning. That's what happened every day. But so he's looking at his, he's uh, uh, looking around. So then the next pasuk, pasuk yud bet, vayifen ko v'cho. Vayifen ko v'cho. So now Rashi says, Ra'a ma'asalo babayit. I'm sorry, ma'ke'ish, I'm sorry. Make, you skipped, I skipped the Rashi. Let's go back. This is important. So that Rashi, Rashi take, takes both sides of the argument. And it was in the previous Rashi, right? The previous Rashi, where he says, it seems to me that he's talking about the general phenomenon of slavery. That's what you do. You beat up on people to get them up in the morning. Right, that's that's how uh, you know, getting up in the morning becomes uh, like very important. But the Torah tells this story in the singular, ish ish mitzri, ish ivri, and the word ish seems to indicate that this specificity. We know who it is. We know the ish. I mean, you may not know. I may not know, but it's known. It's a known person. And so in the continuation, Rashi changes, I think, and he says, Malkehu virodehu ubaalashel Shlomit badivri haya. He was the husband of Shlomit badivri. Venatan ba'enav. And he, the Egyptian, desired her. Uvelayla he'emido votzi omi beito. And at night, he would wake up her husband and send him out into the, uh, into the street and out of his house. The Egyptian came back and he would then go and, uh, and have relations with her. She thought that he was her husband. And he uh, uh, came back uh, and, and he realized that this Egyptian had had relations with, uh, with his wife. When the Egyptian saw that he, uh, he, he realized what had happened, So, I mean, however you explain the story, I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting story, but it's certainly about a particular Egyptian and a particular Ivri, right? A particular, not, it's not a general, uh, a general category. And secondly, it, it, re- it reflects an unjust act even within the context of slavery. Like slavery... Slavery, whatever slavery means, whatever slavery means, I mean, certainly uh, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's a reduction of, of the freedom of choice, right? You lose, you lose your freedom to make certain kinds of decisions. But within slavery, as the Medrash points out, as the Medrash points out, there, there, there are certain limits. Everything is limits. You don't want, you know, you, you stop feeding the donkey. And then, just when the donkey was getting the hang of it, it dies. So, so you know that if you have a donkey, you have to feed it something. The same thing is true about, I think, is true about slavery. You can't 
take any, there are always limits. Even slavery has, even slavery has limits. And, and here the, le- the limits were broken and Moshe Rabbeinu felt that this was a cause that he had to, that he had to look into. So the Pasuk says, Pasuk Yudbet, Vayifin Kovacho, he looked here and he looked there. Rashi, Ra'ama Salo Babayit, Uma Salo Basadeh, Ulefib Shutokim Ashmao, Vayifin Kovacho, means he looked in different ways. Kovacho means here and there, like it's sort of the same. He, he saw, he looked there, he looked there. You would think he was looking to protect himself. But according to Rashi, According to Rashi, Masalo Babait Masalo Basadeh. Well, how would you how would you explain the Rashi that that Moshe Rabbeinu was making a judgment? He was he was looking he looking into the matter, so to speak. Like, what should his reaction be? After all, he just came from the palace. He was uh, a, a very a very close to the Pharaoh. He was in charge of what was going on in the palace. He had a certain kind of... And so he had to decide whether he would give up his position in favor, in favor of justice, of some sort of justice. So Vayivin Kovacho, law comes Rashi, and Rashi gives this unreasonable explanation. Unreasonable because it's not the simple pshat, as Rashi himself says later on. So those of you who are halachist, you can think about it. We think about it. the Egyptians, or the Chayev in, in Arayos, right, the Sheva Mitzvot B'nai Noach, all of these are here. There's Moshe Rabbeinu uh, uh, is like checking it out. He's checking out like, what is it that I should do about this Egyptian, considering what he did, and he looked here, and he looked there, and, and, the, and he came to a decision. And Rashi adds on, these kind of Rashi's hard to know, hard to know who wrote it exactly. Rashi ends up by saying, kimashmo. You know, we have no manuscripts. There are no manuscripts of Rashi written by Rashi. There are manuscripts of Rashi, but not Rashi written by Rashi, which would be handy. It would be nice if you could have a... Because these kinds of things, and in the Gemara it happens very often, uh, uh, that, that there's, a, there's a, a, a little note or a little comment, and you're not sure whether Rashi wrote it or somebody like Rashi or, or with Rashi, or Rashi, Rashi's Talmidim wrote it. And here Rashi says, L'fib shuto kemashma'o. What is L'fib shuto kemashma'o? Why does he say it this way? I think what Rashi means to say is that the pshat is not sufficient. Because Vayifin it's not important. I mean, even you say that he looked here and there, what was he, he wanted to make sure that nobody else was watching him, well, that's not important. I mean, of course, I mean, that's how you, how you do whatever you do. The next clause, Vayarki Ein Ish, Vayarki Ein Ish. So Rashi, what does Rashi always do? Rashi always tries to make the Torah into something, into a text that's, that's, that's impressive. It's not just the reflection of, of regular activity. It's true, Rashi doesn't do it all the time because he has, a, he has a limitation. Rashi's system is, it comes out of, the, out of Chazal. Rashi doesn't make it up, but he trusts Chazal. 
So when Chazal answered the question, Rashi answered the question, Chazal don't answer the question, so Rashi usually doesn't answer the question. This is true about everything except grammar, I think. I mean, I say it with great confidence, but Aleran, I think. When it comes to grammar, you know, Chazal did not deal with grammar. Chazal were not grammarians, they were hardly interested in grammar. They were interested to a certain extent in the meaning of words of certain words, not in a systematic way. And the Jewish interest in, uh, in grammar was pretty much a result of uh, the interest that the uh, Arabi- Ar- Arabic grammarians had in Arabic grammar. They're the ones who got us into it. And so when it comes to grammar, Rashi sometimes quotes sources that are not Chazal, but that are grammarians, or that he he works with, uh, so for example, the Mechberet Menachem, right? It's a book that Rashi quotes often. It was on his table, so to speak, right? Menachem ben Saruk. He was a Jewish grammarian who lived in Spain and who was knowledgeable in the, in the conclusions of the Arab, uh, Arabic grammarians, the, you know, the Arabic grammarians had a very high opinion about the Arabic of the Koran. They thought that the Koran was like the perfect Arabic text. And, and more uh, modern Arabic was a corruption. And even today, you know, like the, the idea of Perak Ayom Batanach, you know the Perak Ayom Batanach on the radio? On the television, they have something also, but I don't know that. What? What's it called? Psukot. Oh, Psukot Shel Yom. But on, on the radio, they used to have a Perek, Hayom Batanach. And you know the Karyanim on the radio, the radio announces, the readers. So there's three kinds of reading on the Israeli radio. There's the Perek Hayom Batanach, there's the Chadashot, and then there's the Hoi Poloi, all the rest of them, all the rest of them. So the Paragayom Tanakh, that would be like high classical Hebrew. You know, they read every jot and tittle, you know, and, and they, they became famous. The ones who did it, who went through the whole Tanakh, became famous for the way they read, uh, read the Tanakh. Then there's the, then the Chadashot. The Chadashot are under the auspices of the Academy so they, they say, when you want to say a certain word, like a, you can't use the international word. You have to use the word that we approve and the pronunciation that we approve. There's also in France, there's a similar kind of system. Because in France, the French love French. The Israelis don't love Hebrew. But they speak it because they have to communicate. They have no choice. But uh, so the Academy of the Shonivrit, interestingly, keeps the Chadashot on a certain level. And then everybody speaks the way they speak. Right? Those are the three levels. So, they, uh, so generally speaking, the Torah, according to Rashi, the Torah wants to tell us something. And, the, and if I know what the Torah wants to tell us, that's the real meaning of the Pasuk. So here in this Pasuk, Rashi says, Rashi says, uh, 
Re'ah, ma'asalo babayit, ma'asalo basadek. Kova, kov. Doesn't mean he looked here and there, hither and yon. It means that he thought about it. He thought about what this person had done. Is he guilty? Should he be killed? Should he be punished? Do I have an obligation to punish him? Right? That's why even called Kova Ho. Vayar, the next phrase. Vayar, ki ish. And then he saw that there is no person around. And listen to Rashi. Ein ish. Atid latzeit bimenu shegit gayer. In other words, Rashi. Rashi uh, uh, says that Moshe Rabbeinu had to take into account all the future generations of this Mitzri because one of them in the future might convert and become Jewish and therefore, of course, what's the implication? You shouldn't kill him. How can you kill a Jew? I mean, the Jew might be 20 years down the line but Moshe Rabbeinu would take that into consideration as well, right? That's... uh, uh, and he killed him he came to the conclusion that he could kill him and he put him in the sand he dug up, dug a hole and he put him in there the first story begins the second story the word nitzim it probably means uh, uh, arguing, disagreement, a stronger disagreement. Nitzim. Uh, so Rashi says, Rashi says, Shnei anashim ivrim, datad v'aviram, heim shautiru minaman. So he said two, two uh, parts to the Rashi. Shnei anashim nitzim, you know that Rashi does this very often, right? With shnei anarim ito. Shnei anarim ito, who are the shnei anarim who went with Avram and Yitzchak? Eliezer and Yishmael. So that's what Rashi says. Why does Rashi say that? It's what? The Gemara says it. Yeah, no, I, said, I don't mean is it right or wrong. I, it's right. The Gemara says, well, why does Rashi say it? It was. It was logically, who else could it be? What? Logically, what else could it, who else could it be? Yeah, so that, that's you say that. That could be. But why did Rashi say it? Hey, why don't you say this? The, the Pasuk says, He took two, two uh, youths with him. So the, so the Torah doesn't want us to know who they are. The Torah doesn't think it's important. Why is Rashi going to tell us that it's, it's Ishmael? Ve- oh, yeah. What? Why, why, did, why did Rashi say that? Okay, it's true. I agree with you. It's a true thing that it was Eliezer and Yishmael. True. But why does Rashi tell us that? Perhaps to emphasize that they weren't, they weren't Ru'i to be at the Akedah. See, I always, knew, I always knew that you had a future. <laughs> Abraham is right. Because it's not stam two guys who came along to help. It's two people who wanted to be involved who are not involved. It was to say, when, when Rashi tells you it was Yishmael and Eliezer, it tells you something about Yishmael and Eliezer, right? If he didn't tell you that, you would think it was just that, the two people who came along, right? So Rashi says, Rashi says, the first part of Rashi, 
Right. The first part of Rashi, Datan Aviram. Datan Aviram. Datan Aviram. We've heard of Datan Aviram. Right? Remember Korach? Right? Korach. So Datan Aviram joined with Korach. And we know that in Chazal, Datan Aviram are like the bad guys. The bad guys, whether there are only two of them or more than two of them. Okay. Now. Rashi, the Tanvaviram, the Medrash says that the Tanvaviram are involved, were involved in many disputes with Moshe Rabbeinu. And so this is the first one. This is the first dispute. So now he says, What is that? It's true, isn't it? It is true. What does Otir Minaman mean? They took too much. It was a Kodesh Bohu said, Here's the man. But uh, take every day just what you need. Don't take any more. If you take any more, it's going to turn bad. You won't be able to use it. And on Friday, you can take twice as much, and you'll have for Shabbat also, right? They did something wrong, they took too much man. And therefore, they were, they were punished. But why does, Rashi, why does Rashi mention that? Why does Rashi mention that? So you say, you know, there are two answers to the question that are good. One is, I don't know. I can't tell you. But I know that the man is about Shabbat. And that Hotiru Minhaman contradicts the notion of Shabbat. In, in, in other words, if, if uh, most people would say, most of you say, so why do we keep Shabbos? Why do we keep Shabbos? Well, because God created the world in six days, and the seventh day God wasn't creating the world. And therefore, we eat chomed. Seems odd. Like, can you, can you imagine somebody trying to defend that statement? I eat chomed because God didn't create the world on Shabbos? No. Can't be. Because God didn't create on Shabbos, we were instructed to commemorate that. We were instructed to commemorate that. And how were we to commemorate that? By preparing on Friday for things that we would eat on Shabbos. That's what God said. That's what God said. Vayevorech, Vayekadesh, if you look at the Rashi and Bereshit, that's what Rashi says. That's what Rashi says. That it was Bercho Baman and Kitcho Baman. That twice it, the Bracha was on Friday. Friday you got twice as much man. Shabbos, you didn't get anything. You ate the Bracha of Friday. That's what, that's what keeping Shabbos means. We're not imitating God. We're not imitating God by not working on Shabbos or not. That doesn't go. What we are doing is following instructions. Hashem said in the Torah, keep Shabbos, and this is how you do it. This is how you keep Shabbos. So that means that when Moshe Rabbeinu went to Paro, this is what the Medrash says, he saw all this, this terrible stuff going on with the people, he went, to, he went to Paro, and he said, look, you can't work them seven days a week. You can't work seven days a week, day and night. You can't do this. They're going to they're gonna drop. It won't be in your interest. 
What is in your interest, O fair Paro? Give him a day off. And we'll make that day off Shabbos. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu said to Paro. So that Hua Datan and Aviram, Hua Datan of to Rashi, introduced by Rashi, they're the opposition. They don't want Shabbos. They don't want Shabbos. Whatever the reason is, whatever their reasoning is, they don't want Shabbos. They don't want Moshe Rabbeinu leadership and, and, and being socially uh, 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 able to, to be sensitive to the social issues of the slave labor force in Egypt. No. They don't want Shabbos. Moshe Rabbeinu, he does want Shabbos. And therefore, and therefore, Rashi says, Heim Shotiru Min Haman. That's where they came from. That's why they were opposed to Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was introducing Shabbos and they were against Shabbos, right? And then Nitzim, Nitzim, Merivim. They're like fighting with each other. They're not, they're not so hard yet, but uh, they're fighting away. And then it says in the Pasuk, in the Pasuk, by Yomelar so here in the Pasuk it says there's a, there's a Rasha. There's a good guy and there's a bad guy. What's the Rasha? Lava Takeh, Rashi. He didn't hit him yet. This is another story about, about uh, guilt. Like when are you guilty of doing something? When does the guilt begin? So he says even though he hasn't hit him yet, but he's going to hit him, he called him a he called him a, a rasha, reyacha. Rashi says rasha kibotcha. You both you both deserve to be you both deserve to be punished. Lava takere reyacha. Pasuk yudalit. Vayomer, vayomer singular. He said, one of the two of them said, mi samcha leishar b'shofet aleinu. Who placed you? Who gave you authority to be an ish, to have a, like, to define yourself as a sar, to define yourself as a shofet, right, an officer, a judge, aleinu, above us, right? What, 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 how would you take that statement? How would you take that statement? Like if you were making the movie, yeah, I mean, somebody made the movie, right? Uh, <laughs> Too bad. But if you're making the movie, I mean, what would Yosef look like? What would Yosef look like? Would he look like somebody who just came out of the palace of the king of, of Egypt? What? Moshe. Moshe, not Yosef. Moshe, I'm sorry. Would Moshe not look like somebody who just came out of the palace? And, and this guy who is this Jewish guy who was spending all day long making bricks and, uh, and worn down when he comes home at night, I mean, what does he look like? What is he? Brooks Brothers, so you have, so, so what kind of question is that? Who, what, what does that mean? He knows that Paro is the one who did that. So you see, you see that this guy, this Jew, whoever he is, this ba- he's a bad guy, he's a bad Jew, hard as that is to believe. Well, he's a, one of the great things about Medinat Yisrael is it makes it easier to believe that. <laughs> so the, so the, the guy, he says, 
you're one of us. Isn't that what he's saying? He's saying what you look like, the fact that you're clean shaven and the fact that you, you look good and you're wearing expensive clothes and you have $800 shoes, I mean, but you're one of us. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu achieved. He said, Who made you into our judge? What do you think, you're Paro? You think you're really one of those? Who do you say, Who do you say that to? To somebody that you're quite confident is not going to kill you. You never say that to somebody who is going to kill you. He says, what do you think? You think you could judge us like you judge that Egyptian? You can't do that. You can't do that. Misam chala ishrashi, pasuk yudalit, the wide lines, are odicha na'ar. You're not, misam chala ishrashi, says could mean, who made you a mature person? Who made you, give you the authority? Who gave, made you a, a, a leader? Odicha na'ar. From here we learn is an interesting sidelight. Sideline. Do you say that you will kill me? You'll kill me, another way of saying that you'll kill me with speech. So Rashi says that that means, or that, that, that implies he killed him with, uh, with God's explicit name. However, that, I don't know how that's done exactly, but, but in, in other words, it absolves Moshe Rabbeinu of the claim of murder against him. He didn't kill the Egyptian, according to this Rashi. But God killed the Egyptian. It was just that Moshe asked God to kill the Egyptian. I think that that's what that must mean. B'Shem HaMeforash. In other words, Moshe Rabbeinu knew something. Knew something about communicating to God. And he did so. He communicated to God. So, if you look at the Ramban, that's printed right here. So the Ramban quotes Rashi. I just want you to know that the Ramban says, Medrash He says, I don't understand. It's I try to imagine what it means to kill somebody with the Shema Meforash. I guess it means you're standing here and he's standing over there and suddenly he keels over and he dies. Right? You don't, you don't write a note saying, I am responsible for this death. So that's what the Ramban says. How did the Rashad, this Tatan Baviram, you know, characters, how did they know that Moshe Rabbeinu killed him with the Shema Mephorash? Because the whole idea is that you don't do anything. It's question number one. Ulai alav Hashem. So he says, well, maybe maybe Moshe put his hand on the head of this guy and cursed him. 
And so they knew that it must be a connection between what Moshe Rabbeinu did and what, and what happened. Vizehu uh, Vayach. And that's what the Pesach means when it says, in the first Pasuk, right? Pasuk Yudalev, it says, Vayach et HaMetzri. He hit the Mitzri. It doesn't mean he actually hit him, but he just put his hand on it. He said, maybe that's what it means. Oh, or maybe what happened was that Moshe is standing there and the Egyptian is beating up on the, uh, the Jew and so Moshe Rabbeinu says woof and he drops dead and he was afraid that people would attribute it to him so he buried him he buried him otherwise why would he, why would he bury him? And Datan Vaviram, they saw Moshe Rabbeinu burying this Egyptian, so they came to the most obvious conclusion. And they knew that it was his fault. Maybe they thought that he killed him with a sword. They didn't see that, but they saw him burying him again. They said, why is he burying him? He must have, he must have killed him. Okay, so you see that the Ramban has difficulty. Ramban is difficult. This is a, like a, a well-known, a well-known disagreement amongst the Mefarshim. He says, if uh, if you assume, if you assume that one of the purposes of the Torah, one of the purposes that the Torah has is to create faith, to believe that God is in charge of the world and that God is in charge of, uh, of our destiny. So if you believe that, then it makes sense that things that are miraculous or things that are extraordinary should be written down in the Torah. Now this argument takes place amongst the Mephoshim with the story of Nimrod and Avram Avinu. Right? You remember the story that Avram Avinu was put to the test? Nimrod threw him into a lion's den and, and then he was miraculously saved the lions were not interested in Avram Avinu but they would rather have you know barbecued steak or whatever it was that they got so there's a disagreement interestingly enough about whether this is a true story whether it's, it's a true story. What is the negative position? Who says no, that it's not a true story? Well, if it was a true story, it would be included in the Torah. Because it is a story that generates faith. It's a story, I mean, if you tell me that some miracle that happened someplace, uh, stones came rolling down or rolling up or, or whatever, it's not included in the Torah, okay. But here you have a story about Avram Avinu who is basing himself on his faith in God and he escapes the punishment of the Govarayot. So if it were true, if it were true, it would be in the Torah. And this is a story, this is a matter that the Ramban relates to. And so here the Ramban disagrees with Rashi. Rashi takes it as an obvious fact that Moshe Rabbeinu killed the Egyptian with the, with the Shem HaMeforash. And the Ramban says, well, you don't have to say that. You don't have to say that. 
You don't have to say the, explain the pasuk that way. Why is it? Why does the Ramban say that? Why does the Ramban disagree with Rashi? He doesn't have to disagree with Rashi. He could say, okay, Rashi, we'll let this one pass. But, but the Ramban is saying, is saying is that I can't imagine that it would be true if the Torah didn't tell me that it was true. The Torah is, is interested in promoting faith. And faith and miracles go together if I'm certain that the miracle is divinely uh, oriented. So that's the Ramban. That's what the Ramban says. Let's go back to the Pesach and, uh, and the Rashi. The Rashi. Uh, again. Again. You see that at the end of the first wide line in the Rashi, the next line, Vayira Moshe, Vayira Moshe, Kipshuto, Rashi says. This one is backwards, right? First he says Kipshuto, and then he gives a, another interpretation. Kipshuto means he was afraid. He said it's out. Kipshuto, Medrasho, Daaglo, Al Shira'ab Yisrael Rishaim. So here you have it. Here you have it. This is Rashi. Rashi introducing us to Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was a man with a heightened sense of moral commitment. Such a heightened sense that he's willing to kill the Egyptian who was making it difficult for the Jew. He understood, he understood that on the level of individuals, right, you could still have justice. You could still have truth, right? Emet umishpat existed, as Avram Avinu said, emet umishpat existed for individuals, even in Mitzrayim, even under slavery, even in that. But the reason that Moshe Rabbeinu was walking around and looking at things was because he experienced a moral dilemma. Everybody knows that HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Abu Mavinu, 400 years in Egypt, yes? 400 years in Egypt, everybody also knows that they were actually in Egypt 210 years. How could it be? How could it be that HaKadosh Baruch Hu says 400 years and it was only 210 years? So we also know the answer to that question. The answer to that question is that tshuva works. Tshuva works. That even if, even if the punishment has been designated and, and formulated, of course there are rules to that as well, but even though the, the punishment was formulated, it was possible to change it if the people did tshuva. Okay, so Chazal said they didn't do tshuva, they were, they were beyond tshuva, un, unable to do tshuva, so weakened that there was nothing left to them morally. Okay, that also worked. That also worked, so let them out earlier. So Moshe Rabbeinu didn't understand why they were still in Mitzrayim, why they were still slaves in Mitzrayim. Didn't understand. Because he said, he said, look, look at the situation. They're being oppressed, they're working hard, they have no, no recourse, there's nothing to look forward to. How come, how come they are still, uh, uh, they are still enslaved in Mitzrayim? And so Rashi quotes the Medrash, Medrash Oda Aglo, 
He saw bad people in Am Yisrael. Amar me'ata shema einam re'uyim lehigael. So he said, maybe they're really not worthy of redemption, right? We, they can't get uh, redeemed, right? Achei no dahadavar, he says. Achei no dahadavar. Vayira Moshe. And Moshe was consumed by fear, according to Rashi, because he suddenly realized that that Geulah, that the redemption of the Jews in Mitzrayim was not going to happen. Not right yet, right then. I figured it out. That which I was wondering about, Rashi says, Machat u Yisrael mikol shivim umot liyot neredim bavodat parech. He says, why is it that amongst all the nations in the world, only the Jews are oppressed by this terrible weight of, of labor that they have to, they have to undergo? I now see that they deserve it. Though you see that the story of Moshe Rabbeinu is like, it's as though Moshe Rabbeinu says, look, I know I'm chosen. I know I'm the one who's going to lead B'nai Yisrael out of Mitzrayim, but, but am I going to be able to do it? I mean, we, I mean they have to deserve it. It's not, it's not like they are trained animals that I'm going to come and lead them on a leash out of Mitzrayim. There's got to be some way of resolving this slavery and freedom. There's got to be some way to get the Jews out of Mitzrayim. And right now Moshe Rabbeinu said the result of my investigation is negative. I don't understand it. And the version in the Mishnah, in the, in the Medrash, if you look at the sheet, the next paragraph, Right? Remember the Shema Mforash. Because when he heard that the Jew knew that he had killed the Egyptian, he was afraid of Lashon Hara. He, Moshe Rabbeinu, was afraid of the Lashon Hara that the Jews were promulgating. And he said, Oh, you know, this has become known that I killed the Egyptian. You know, those people are talking about it. People are saying things that they shouldn't be saying. Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Sholom, Rabbi Hanina, Agadog, Rabbeinu, B'shem Rabbi Alexander Amru, right? A statement. Haya Moshe, meharher belibova omer. He would think in his heart and he would say, Machatu Yisrael, what did they do that was a transgression? Shenishtabdu mikol ha'amot. They are, they are more uh, enslaved than any of the other nations. Kevan she'shamad devarav. Since he heard the words of this Datan Vaviram of the Israeli, of the Israel light, Amar, Lashon Hara Yesh Benehem, they talk to each other, Lashon Hara, Heyachi Yim Begula, how could they ever expect to be redeemed? Lakachamar, Achei no Dahadavar. And that's why he said, Achei no Dahadavar, Chad Yedati. 
בדייזה דבר הם משעבדים, איך אין נודע דבר, in fact it has become known, it doesn't mean that I killed the Egyptian, it's become known to me why the redemption does not come. So here's Moshe Rabbeinu speaking, perhaps not like the leader, but speaking like the one who, who can't imagine that leadership would help, that there would be a difference which will explain in turn Moshe Rabbeinu's reaction to the snake and why he wasn't enthusiastic about it and why he didn't want to run for the opportunity of leading the Jews out of Mitzrayim because he thought that they were not ready that they would not be able to leave Mitzrayim and that they'd have to stay for the full 400 years that were promised to Avram Avinu, which meant another 190 years, 190 years more than they had been in, in, uh, in Egypt at that time because they were, after all, promulgators of Lashon Hara. Now, you know that Rav Nachman of Braslav had the same issue. Rav Nachman, in many places, you know, he lived in the Ukraine, which probably today is still, uh, except for the Braslavas who go on Rosh Hashanah and leave them a lot of money, uh, it's still a very poor, uh, underdeveloped place. And uh, Rav Nachman couldn't understand that after his great-grandfather, the Baal Shem Tov, came into the world and brought light, you know, a new kind of light, a new kind of understanding, he says, why don't we get redeemed? Why don't we get redeemed? We, the Jewish people, I mean, if redemption is coming, now's the time. This is what Rav Nachman, Rav Nachman definitely thought that. He thought he would also have a significant role in, uh, in this redemption. But that's not the point that I'm interested in. But he, he saw his situation, or the situation of the Jews in the Ukraine, in Russia, as being similar to the Jews of Mitzrayim. Similar to the Jews of Mitzrayim, they, they were downtrodden, they were beaten, they were, they were difficult, they, they lived in great uh, difficulty, and the Jews that he had anything to do with all managed to keep the Torah and the mitzvot and to be in a successful, in a successful manner. And so, uh, I'd like to just look with you quickly at a passage from the Likutei Halachot. Likutei Halachot is a big book, very big. It's like 10 volumes usually. Uh, well, not the two forms, but the one that, that's usable is the 10 volume one written by Rav Natan, who was a Talmud of, uh, of Rav Nachman, and who was able to write that. He wrote down all the Torah of Rav Nachman. He had one, apparently, one of these memories, you know. Rav Nachman, only spoke on Shabbos or Yontif. And so whoever, Rav, Rav Nosset had to remember what he said, Baal Peh. It's a, good, uh, it's a good thing if you want to be remembered favorably in history, it's good to have a Boswell. Or Johnson. One of them. Boswell. <laughs> it's good to have. It's good to have somebody like that. What? Yeah, Boswell, Boswell. Yeah, Boswell. Do you know there's uh, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe who gave these very long, involved uh, sichot, also on Yamim Tovim. He had a he had a person like that. He's still alive. His name is Yoel Khan. 
who, who remembered what the Rebbe said. The Rebbe would speak like for, for four hours, like, you know, he thought no one had anything to do. So he would just speak endlessly, or they also sing a little bit in between. But Yoel Khan would then, after Yantav, would write it down word for word. He was like, like a living tape recorder. And, uh, and all the sichot, the volumes the, of sichot that they printed in the name of the Lubavitcher Rebbe are all, that's him. That's him, like the Lubavitcher Rebbe said it, but he wrote it down. So, this is Rav Nossam. Rav Nossam wrote an interesting, very big book in which he tried to show that halacha can be integrated with the ideas that Rav Nachman presented mostly in the, in the book, you know, in, in, the, in his main work, which was also written by Rav Nossam, right? It was, you know, also those are the sichot of Rav Nachman that were written by Rav Nossam. This is a book that Rav Nossam written, wrote original, as they say. I always tell that story. It's a good story. Rav Nossam came, you know, he went to, the, to, to Rav Nachman. Rav Nossam went to Rav Nachman and he said, I'd like to say a to- my own Torah. I'd like to write up a Torah. And it was uh, like Erev Pesach. He came to the Rebbe to ask permission. It was like chutzpah to write your own thing without permission from the Rebbe. So the Rebbe said, okay. He says, but, but review, before you do it, just review the Torah. He says, what do you mean review the Torah? He says, well, Shas and all the books of the Zohar, Shulchan Aruch, and all the, all the literature of Kabbalah. So, so if somebody told me to do that, I would say, I would take that as a no. <laughs> you know? so, so he tells the story that he was there of Pesach. So he says, well, I finished there of Shavuos doing all of that. And so I started writing my book. So, you know, it's not accidental. It's not accidental. So in any event, he writes this. That, that Moshe Rabbeinu received, it's, it's like, um, it's something missing here. You see these three dots? That's the main thing. <laughs> Somehow they came out missing. That somehow there's a connection between hatarata and nedarim. You know, like if I take an oath, like I can take an oath, and I could also untake it by going to a beit din of had your toad, even a beit din of had your toad, saying, I won't absolve myself from this, this oath. And I remember when I was in yeshiva, there was a, a rebbe who smoked very heavily, and he would always take an oath, Arab Shabbos, that he was not going to smoke anymore. And so by Sunday morning, he got, came to the yeshiva and he got three guys together to have hatoras nidorim. So, so it didn't work. It's like, it's like uh, uh, promising yourself that you're going to go on a diet, Erev Tishabov. You know, it doesn't always work. But hatoras nidorim ubekoch Moshe Rabbeinu. Something to do with Moshe Rabbeinu. Shua Rishon Shinatan Lano et hatorah. So there's some kind of uh, some, some information that we're missing about nidarim because what is a neder? I think he, he says it. Aideya nidarim v'hataratan. Aideya charatal if neachacham v'chule. In other words, what what is a neder? A neder means you see this apple. <laughs> you see this apple. I'm not going to eat it. I'm not going to eat any apples. In fact. So in other words, you have the power, you have the power, according to the Chod Nidarim, 
of, of creating a new transgression. A transgression doesn't exist in the Torah. The Torah says, eat as many apples as you want. You come along and you say, I don't want to eat apples. I'm not going to eat apples. I take an oath I'm not going to eat apples. So that's the first thing that the Torah said, that you have that power to make something also. The second thing that the Torah said was, is, you could be matter the nether. You have another power. You have a power to undo the nether that you made and to start eating these apples over again. Shezeh, he says, sod ha What's in Sod HaTshuva? It's Charata, just like in the Omegan Nether. You can say, I'm not going to eat the apple. And then you can change your mind. And you can say, I do want to eat the apple. So the same thing, that's Tshuva. Tshuva means, I, I, I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to be that way anymore. That's the Charata. And therefore, the Medrash says, Shemosh HaBedotan Lev, that Moshe Rabbeinu was looking at B'nai Yisrael in exile, all the exiles. So Moshe Rabbeinu said to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, look, look at all the suffering, look at what's going on, there's not going to be an end to it, even getting out of Mitzrayim, it's just going to be fall into some other kind of suffering. So, so HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, because of that, because you are sensitive to the problem, you, Moshe Rabbeinu, are going to bequeath B'nai Yisrael this idea of Nidarim. He says, what's the connection? He says, what's the connection between the Darim and the tragedy of exile? was looking not only at Egypt, but he was looking at all the history of the Jewish people and saw that one exile follows the other that the main thing that drives us into exile are transgressions. The main thing, the main thing that brings us back, that redeems us, is tshuva. And the main thing that prevents tshuva is machloket. And the machloket represented by the divisiveness between the people and Moshe Rabbeinu himself, between Datan Raviram and Moshe Rabbeinu. Shemit Gabrim Kinegdo Ma'od, they're very strong against him. Kemoshi Katuv Achain. These, this is the machloket. The machloket is that they could say to Moshe Rabbeinu, and Moshe Rabbeinu is clearly correct. What did he say to them? He said, what are you doing? Why are you standing and beating up on each other? I mean, we're, we're slaves in Egypt. We've got to get out of here. How could you be so trivialize your situation in such a way? So he says, uh, uh, that, that's the which means Hagalut. 
What became known to Moshe Rabbeinu? Sod HaGalut, and what is Sod HaGalut? Shehu Bishvil HaCholkim V'Adilaturin. That's what the Medrash says, we saw it. He know, Shehevin, Shehayalo Koach L'Ashiv Yisrael B'Tshuvah. He knew that he would be able to do it, that he would have to somehow get them, get them to do tshuva. So he says that's, that's the power of nidarim. The power of nidarim is that you can establish a boundary that doesn't exist in the Torah and use that boundary to fix yourself. The chaser, the Ramah also says it. In the, in the Yad. The Rabbi says the same thing. Somebody wants to fix himself and knows that there's something wrong with him and knows that tshuva is not sufficient, it doesn't do it for him, that person can use neder, can use the idea that you can make a vow and create a boundary that is, is immovable, right? It, it's unchangeable. You can create that boundary. You can create that boundary and, and therefore move on to tshuva. So here's Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, according to, to Rab Nosson, becoming aware of what's going on. And that's why he was walking around amongst his people. He wanted to understand why the Galut had not ended and why it was that the people were subject to ongoing tragedy day after day after day. And this was the preparation that Moshe Rabbeinu himself underwent in order to, uh, before he stood uh, at the, at the sneh, at the, uh, at the burning bush where he was given the job that he had learned to understand. And the job was not just a job of, of taking the Jews or leading the Jews, being a tourist guide or going to Paro and telling Paro that this Makkah is going to come and that Makkah is going to come. But Moshe Rabbeinu had a real job, and his real job was to help people understand that redemption was dependent on them, on their actions, what they did, and how they reacted to what was going on in the world. And Moshe Rabbeinu apparently was at least uh, mildly successful in doing that, because as you know, the Jews did manage to leave uh, Mitzrayim. Tov. Have a good Shabbos. Yeah.